Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now this age of radio podcast is brought to you by the bazaar the Bazaar is the Age of Radio affiliate store, and right now, The Bazaar has a special offer on The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus is a subscription video on-demand service with thousands of in-depth videos taught by the world's greatest professors. You'll always find something fascinating to learn about. With categories ranging from history to travel and everything in between, there's something for everyone. If you go to ageofradio.org forward slash darkwindows, there's an offer to get The Great Courses Plus free for 14 days. Stay ahead in life. Start your access today with 11,000 plus video and audio lectures on a range of topics. I'm Kevin H. I'm Kevin C. And I'm a Seth. And this is the Dark, Dark Windows, Windows Podcast. So just a disclaimer, we are going to talk about some things that people might not be super comfortable with. We're going to use some language, a language that people are not going to be super comfortable with. That's adult language. So, Expletives. So sit back. Relax. And enjoy the show. Or not. That's cool, too. We want to start out by saying a special thank you to our sponsor, Studio Headphones. Studio offers some of the best quality sound and best-built headphones on the market without the outrageous prices that other brands offer. They offer a variety of different styles, including over-the-ear, wired earbuds, and completely wireless Bluetooth buds. The two newest models are the Klar, which are over-the-ear noise-canceling headphones that offer 30 hours of playtime. Hold on. 30 hours continuous playtime without being recharged. And the Tolve, which are totally wireless Bluetooth earbuds, that offer seven hours of playtime in a case that holds four additional charges for the buds. So check out studio.com where you will find some of the best quality headphones and earbuds on the market. And if you enter Dark Windows 15 at checkout, they will take 15% off your entire order. What's going on, everybody? <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> Howdy ho, everybody. Oh, it's yep. been, a, been a good week, huh? Yeah, moving to the new house. You guys knocked out of the park thank you for helping me move no problem, all buddy. that heavy shit and anytime thank don't. you to the other couple of people that are, don't listen to this shit so i'm not <laughs> gonna name them don't move again don't plan on it <laughs> i don't think i can afford to move again oh. if i do the only place i'm moving to is a cardboard box yep. outside of walmart speaking of being great seth you got some stuff right yeah so if you know anybody or have helped anybody move and they lose their painting supplies head on over to gamemv.net Home of the Hobby Holder. The Hobby Holder is a multi-purpose 
two-in-one painting tool. What about a one-in-two painting tool? You could do that, too. Fuck yeah. I like that better. It's versatility at its finest. Best part is everything comes in a variety of different colors, so you could pick out whatever colors, combinations you want. Put that stuff in your checkout cart. Put your hobby tools in there, whether it be a paint puck, a brush bashing, or anything else. Put in the promo code RODSTONE at checkout and you save yourself 10% off the entire order. Hell yeah. Boom. So, boys. All it's, right. Uh, so. This is, uh, <laughs> we're going to continue our streak of uh, kind of serious episodes for a couple weeks. Oh, we so serious. So this week we are going to be starting our probably, it's going to turn out to be three parts of. Why uh, Subway is a lie. Yeah, it's not even a foot long. It's fucking 11 and three quarter. Yeah, and you, can't, you eat fresh, and it's not really fresh because it was cut the night before, yeah. and it's in a little, little tray. Yeah, fucking bagged lettuce and shit. Boom. Um, no, but we are going to start our uh, our three-part series on the Munich Olympics of 1972, um, where we had a hostage situation and uh, some other pretty nasty shit ended up happening. Yeah, it actually changed the way I think the world thinks of like terrorist attack on Absolutely. a home scale. Not a massive scale, but on a, I guess, in a much tighter uh, incident. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not a, like you're going, fighting in a war zone. It's more of how to handle in a contained area. Yep. This, like uh, this rooms and things. This changed um, event security for the rest of time after this happened. And, well, uh, until they, it got heightened even at, more after uh, Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's I, true. This is true. This was the start, I think, of that whole thing and then more darker times kind of changed everything. Yeah, this uh this was a pretty rough situation. So, um we're going to preface this. Grab yourself a nice adult beverage or yeah. drink of choice. Get yourself in some comfy clothes and prepare for a bumpy ride. Yeah, you might want to be here for this one. Um So, let's get started out. Um I did make a note that this topic could have very easily become a 10-part geopolitical series and about like how wars and all this have been fought yeah. in the Middle East from for all of eternity and but I don't think we need to do that. It's kind of we're going to focus on one very large event that kind of really took a huge effect on the rest of the world. Mm. Because I mean, this obviously didn't affect just the um the Israelis that were attacked or the Palestinians that were the attackers, this had an effect on the rest of the world, like literally the rest of the world. Cause you have all yeah. these athletes from around the world that are like, this is in the middle of the Olympics. And they go, what the fuck is going on? When everyone thinks that this is supposed to be the highest security, everyone's supposed to be safe. It's all about competition, not yep. about this kind of shit. Exactly. It's, it's respectful competition. This you know. is the first Olympics since world war two. We're going to get into that. Yeah. In, uh, Germany. So 1972 Germany was a very different place. The country had been divided into east and west, and this was less than 30 years removed from the end of World War II. This is the first time, like you were saying, Kevin, that the Olympics had been held in Germany since 1936. And the 1936 Olympics were pretty much just a reason for Hitler to wave his dick at people and for him to get really, really upset when he found out that Jesse Owens is super fucking fast. And beat his white boys. He didn't like that. Yeah. Um, actually, take that, you Steve Rogers motherfuckers. <laughs> and actually, another another fun thing with the 1936 Olympics. That's actually where the uh, Olympic logo came from. And then 
Adolf Hitler designed that himself, actually. Really? The, the five interlocking rings, yeah. Hmm. Another important and very symbolic event happened at this around the same time period. Um, this was the first Olympics since the formation of the nation of Israel that any Israeli athletes had actually been to Germany for anything, including like uh, uh, like the qualifiers for the Olympics and stuff like that. Because it was what, uh, almost 10 years, 20 years? For what? Since the formation of Israel? Yeah, because that was like 40... 50-something. Was it 50-something? That was like yeah. 48, 49, 50, somewhere 50, in there. 354 might be wrong yeah I, I have no idea if 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 you remember, if you any out there know exactly what it was i mean we probably look it up before but yeah i mean i you know i didn't really get into that part but i would pay attention to a few events in the olympics <laughs> so and they took away one of them what's that wrestling Th- did they really I, there was a whole debate on it i don't know if it's back now but it was definitely they were taking it away you know the one that always pissed me off was basketball because that's the only team sport where professional athletes were allowed to compete in it like baseball, when they did like the Olympics for baseball, it was uh, like college, you know, stuff like that. It wasn't MLB players. Badminton. It was 48. Was it 48? Yeah. Okay. German authorities and the Olympic Committee were both understandably nervous, you know, considering that the wound of the Holocaust was still mm. very, fresh. very Raw. fresh. Yeah. yeah. Um, they wanted to prove that West Germany had become more progressive than the rest of Germany had been and uh, definitely more progressive than the eastern half of Germany was because at this point in time, it was, they were still under uh, communist control. So they welcomed the Jewish athletes with open arms. They made every accommodation that they could to help them out with whatever they wanted. Part of the show of being more progressive was to show as little evidence of police and military security as possible. They thought that showing any amount of force would be seen kind of like in poor taste yeah. It would be reminiscent of the 1936 Olympics where you've got fucking guys walking up and down the streets. Like a Gestapo. Yeah, exactly. Or the brown suits. or The brown whatever. shirts? Brown shirts. Yeah. So even though the Germans thought that this was a really good idea, the, uh, the Israeli delegates that had arrived to kind of see where the athletes would be staying and doing review of, like, the security, yeah. they thought that, they're like, this is a, you know, this is not... We're not real happy with how security is here. They've been very, again, the the Israelis have been really security minded, especially since the Six Day War in 1967, Uh. which kind of long story short, Israel was essentially surrounded on all sides by uh, Muslim countries that were just they kind of had banded together to go. We're getting rid of you. Well, that's still today, though. They still are always thinking about we're always under attack. They were, everyone always wants to try to take us out. Everyone right. wants to erase us from history. Like, still today, they talk about it, and that's why their defense force is so prevalent of making sure anyone exactly. that is 18 has to serve a guaranteed two years, unless there's other specified reasons right. why they can't. Like medical reasons, stuff yeah, like cause that. Yeah, because I met somebody who was a part of it, and he's like, yeah, we... When you live in Israel, you feel like you're under attack 24-7. It can come from every angle. Mm-hmm. You just don't know when it's going to happen. But this this was also before Israel had the full military backing of the United States. Yeah. Like, we would supply them with equipment, but we weren't, like, be, like super involved. But they – and, I mean, I, I watched some stuff about the Six-Day War, and the Israelis fucking – they got – I don't know how they survived. They got really lucky because you had – I mean, you had Egypt uh, – Palestine, Jordan, uh, Syria. Syria, and I believe Saudi Arabia was also involved in that as well. 
Hmm. They were they were fucking like they got their asses kicked, but they they gave better than they got. So yeah, good on them. So more recently, the Israelis have been receiving threats from a Palestinian group called Black September. This group named itself after the Black September conflict, where the King of Jordan declared military rule over Palestine and had thousands, like upwards of about five thousand Palestinian uh, soldiers killed. Whoa, yeah. The Israeli team was supposed to be staying partly on the ground floor of 31 Connolly Strauss, which the Israeli delegates immediately thought was a bad idea. Uh, they said the location was, vul- was very vulnerable and insecure because you had a couple of different entrances from the street. You didn't really have any kind of um, uh-huh. security fencing or anything around it. It was basically just a ground floor apartment. So you can kind of see uh, yeah. their, their dilemma. with that. Yeah, their dilemma. Exactly. The Israelis, uh, the Israelis held meetings with members of the local police, the security, and Olympic Committee members to voice their concerns, and they were uh, they were told the matter would be looked into, but it never was. They never, never addressed the security concerns that they had. So this was not a fa- this was not just a failure on the part of the Germans and the Olympic Committee, but it was also on part of uh, part of the Israelis. Uh, the Israeli Ministry of Defense told the delegates to concern to quote concern themselves with matter of sp- with matters of sport and not matters of security. So pretty much, just focus on the sport, focus on getting your gold medal. We'll take care of security. Exactly. So to tell the people that are going there ahead of the athletes to check everything to make sure everything is secure and prepared for them to so just go. Nah, don't worry about that shit. Didn't that we'll happen kind of when the Olympics were in Brazil? Like security was such a. Uh, a concern there like don't worry about it we'll take care of it later yeah pretty much like we got to worry about this first we got to worry about getting you guys in here we'll deal with security later that happens pretty much everywhere i mean like the ones in russia were a fucking shit show too like they had i don't think there's any area that can actually support the amount of influx of people like to be able to handle the olympics what they should do is they should set it up in one fucking place and do them there every time they do Summer Olympics. We need a Genosha. Yeah. Marvel. I, yeah, that'd be perfect. Just have one place where they are just set up. You have all your arenas built for everything. You have people maintaining them and shit so that you don't have to fuck with it all the time and have to build all this shit everywhere you go. Well, I mean, the Olympics, depending on which it is, you know, because at this time, I don't think the... Well, Winter Olympics had just started because Winter Olympics hasn't been around that long. That's true. Um, but like, I mean, you just Olympics changed so much. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I I can't in the back of my brain, I can't you know get it out of it that the fact that I guarantee there had to be some sentiment, um, anti <clears throat> or they would call anti-Zionist sentiment in this because you know they told them just don't worry about it, you know. That Basically, was, that was yeah. the Israelis telling their people that were going there to check everything. Don't worry about it; it'll be fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought it yeah. was the other way around. Oh, no, that, okay. that was like the Israeli, uh, the Israeli uh, um, sports minister was like, "Fuck it, it'll be fine." Oh, oh yeah. Okay, so the liaisons were basically told, "Hey, you know, don't worry about yep. it. You go, just worry about checking the sports arenas for sure." Okay, because I thought it was. I thought you when you were saying it, I thought it, you were talking about the commission. And everybody else. Yeah, was I did too. Go. Actually, yeah, on that no, one. I'm sorry about that, but it was it was a failure on Everyone, the, the German much. government, the Olympic Committee, and the Israelis. Mm. They all kind of fucked dog on that. They they didn't do things but the maybe, way they should have been. But maybe the Israeli uh, powers to be, I guess, were just like, okay, hey, you know, let's just 
let's just you know not worry about it. Let's try. Maybe to, things have changed. Yeah, maybe they told things us things have changed. I yeah. think they, they wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt to go. Okay, you know, I mean, some of us still remember living there. You right. know, that is home technically for us because we were Germans. And I'm not going to lie to you. Once we get into the athletes, not a lot of them sound like purely Israeli names. You get a lot of European sounding. At least first names out of Going it. Going on what yeah. you were saying, Mr. Exactly. <clears throat> I mean, because, well, they, <coughs> yes, they did originally come from, you know, a lot of them did, you know, come from Germany right. to Israel. But, you know, they were originally, their ancestors were from that area. Right. The Germany, Poland. Well, no, we're from yeah. Israel. Oh, that, yes. That yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. Now, with recent events such as airplane, uh, airplane hijackings, uh, threats and attacks towards Israelis, uh, they really wanted to take these seriously because they were having all of these reports and stuff rolling in almost 24 hours uh-huh. a day into the uh, into like Mossad offices um dude you don't want to fuck with Mossad yeah no it, Mossad is essentially Israel's version of the CIA they are not to be fucking trifled with yeah i think they're a little bit they Worse. will yeah, yeah i think they're willing to push the boundaries of what right. is acceptable a little bit more than the CIA. Oh, they're yeah. FBI. Anyway, yeah. let's move on. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah. talk about them a lot here coming up. Yeah, because but yeah, it's that same cool. kind of um, international kind of security yeah. agency in quotes. Yeah. So a lot of these threats had been saying that there was going to be some kind of a, an event coming up somewhere in Europe. Munich was never specifically mentioned, but as it was they, implied. Not really. They just oh. it just said Europe. Oh, okay. But being in the intelligence agency, a lot of these guys in Mossad were like, maybe we should put some resources close to the Olympics, just in case, because that's a big event. You've got people from all around the world. True. You know, it. You're gonna. There's so many people there that you better can't safe. properly do security. Yeah, better safe than sorry. Right. Yeah. But uh, with that being said, the Israeli Olympi- uh, Olympians moved into their quarters in the Olympic Village. With absolutely no special security arrangements made for them. So they were pretty much just thrown to the wolves. Yep. They're just like, okay, you guys are cool to move in. Here's the wolf den. Have fun. Yep. We got we got fresh sheets on the beds and shit. You'll be fine. So the Bavarian and German federal police were very, very nervous to present any openly armed security in fear of making people feel like they were going back in time. Back to... The 1936 Olympics, like we said, with the fucking Gestapo roaming the streets and yeah. brown shirts everywhere. Um, as a matter of fact, the 20, I'm sorry, the 2000 Olympic security officials were basically given um, like light blue jumpsuits uh. Uh, for uniforms. And they got very, very little training. They were trained in basic perimeter and traffic control. Uh, checking tickets. <laughs> Stand here. Look here. Look here. Hold your hand up here. Point there. Look here. Look there. Good. Yeah. So these these guys pretty much got about the same same level of training as people doing security for a fucking concert. And they're at some the of those Olympics. Probably have a higher level, I, like because I would think so. Sometimes they may travel, and also they, that's what these people get paid to do Dude, is police venues. When we went to the uh, we went to the Dropkick Murphys and Floggy Molly concert, they turned uh, my father in law away to go back to the tent because he had a pen in his pocket can't have that get rid of it if it they told him if it was a sharpie it's not a big deal but it's a ballpoint pen can't have it get out of here but this is also a different time though right this was last year yeah yeah so that, that kind of shows how how much security has changed in the last fucking 40 some odd years so here's here's where we start getting some kind of like james bond kind of shit 
We're going to jump ahead to Wednesday, August 23rd, which was three days before opening ceremonies. A middle-aged couple from Palestine landed in the Cologne International Airport. After passing through customs, they wheeled four pretty good-sized suitcases out of the airport and rented a car. Probably wondering why I'm bringing this shit up. Just because. So the reason I bring up the suitcases is because there was a couple of layers of lingerie in them. Okay. Below the layers of lingerie were eight AK-47s, several hundred rounds of ammunition, and a handful of Soviet-made F-1 fragmentation grenades. How the hell did they get that through the check luggage? Dude, fuck, this is in the 70s, man. Who used to smoke in airplanes back then? Yeah, but who's going to actually, like, look, you know, they might open the luggage and they'll be like, oh, shit. Uh yeah, just just keep going. I'm not yeah. gonna lie, like I'm that kind of guy. I'd be like, what the hell we got in here? Just start poking at it. Maybe we can find <laughs> something else. Ball right. gag, <laughs> flopper. What the hell is that? AK? Oh, eh. What? That's a, that's a really big butt plug. <laughs> that's a that's a big old butt plug. What's that? That's a grenade. What's the safe word for that? Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so after they rented a car, they drove about 280 miles to Munich and stored the bags in a locker at the Munich Central Railway Station. Back when train stations and bus stations had lockers. Put in there, turn the key, walk away. They dropped the keys for the locker off of the concierge of a small hotel and told them that within the the next, you know, two or three days, somebody will be by to to pick these keys up. It's for, you know, we left their their luggage in a a locker for them. Yeah, well, people do that. There are people that will, you know, you pay them a certain amount of money, they'll ship it for you. I work for a company like that. Yeah, it, I, 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 could, I could have almost seen the excuse of, you know, we our kids were already here. They their luggage got lost, so we brought them stuff. Yep, you know? and they're going to be at the they're actually in the Olympics. They're going to come over, pick it up, their stuff, so that way they can use it for training or whatever. Right, in different time, you know. Oh, frame, absolutely. You know, compared yeah. to now, back when exactly. people were more trusting, yeah, of each other, definitely. When no one would lock their doors and be <laughs> like, "Come on," in. they you open up the door, walk in, and they're just sitting there. Oh, come on in. So within a few hours, a member of Black September would actually end up stopping and picking the key up at the concierge desk. Just to get some background as to what Black September is, it's a smaller offshoot branch of the PLO, which is the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Mm. And it's an operating arm of the uh, the FATA, which is formerly the Palestinian faction of the Confederated Multipart Palestinian Liberation Organization. And the second largest party in the Palestinian Legislative Council. That was a fucking mouthful. Yeah, dude, the Fatah is no joke either. Yeah. They, they do some stuff. Matter of fact, one of the founding members of the entire organization was a guy that I'm pretty sure people may or may not have heard of. His name's Yasser Arafat. Yeah. yeah. He was, mm-hmm. he was he kind was of a big deal. Of PLO. Yeah. He was one of the founding members of yep. PLO. So I kind of feel like it's important to explain a bit more about the group itself. Um, so... And why they're so pissy. Right. So we're going to take a little, like, a step back. Uh, the country of Jordan was created out of what was kind of regarded for centuries as Palestinian land. And the British Empire created it as an award to the Saudi ruling dynasty for helping them out with other things. Uh, Black September was the name of a military operation by the Jordanians to clear out Palestinian influencers um, and armed elements between September of 1970 and July of 1971. The PLO leadership was pushed out out of Jordan, um, and they were eventually killed off. Most of them were dealt with pretty extremely. Um, Got a stern talking to. Yeah, yeah. With a bullet. Yep. 
So kind of we're going to jump back to kind of where we left off. We're going to go to Tuesday, September 5th, 1972. And at this point in time, we're nine days into the Olympics. So a private bus full of Israeli athletes was driving back to the Olympic Village from downtown Munich after seeing a performance of Fiddler on the Roof. Huh. Yeah. Good uh, Good performance. I would imagine so. It's a, you know, I've, I've seen, I believe is the William Shatner version of it. They did a uh, they Thanks, film? man. Yeah. I've only I think I've seen the like the only the original. I've heard about it, never my, seen it. My, my grandmother had it because she was a fucking giant William Shatner fan. <laughs> um so everybody on the bus was they're all pretty relaxed, having fun, having a good time. Um the bus starts to roll up to security gate twenty five A and there was really no security at the gate. You know, nowadays bus rolls up, they're stopping it, they're gonna run fucking mirrors under it, they're gonna check everybody's paperwork on it. Yep. Back then, it was kind of like, hey, what's going on? Yep. How you doing? Yep, that's a bus. Yep. Yeah, come on in. You know, you, kinda... Oh, yeah, you got uh, you got, you got got Olympic badges on you. Cool. Go for <laughs> it. Really, it's just a sticker that says, hi, my name is Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Olympic athlete. <laughs> so as this was going on, like the, the two, for lack of a better term, rent-a-cops, came on and talked to the bus driver for a couple of seconds. As this is going on, Eight members of Black September, uh, they were traveling in four pairs of two. They were traveling together. Um, they had a meeting point at the Munich Central Station. This is where... They got their lingerie. Right. They met up at the cafe and the train station, and only when all of them had arrived were the full actual plans laid out for everybody as to what was going on. Well, that's good. You know, they made sure that no one missed the meeting. Right. And up up, up until now, it's like... we're It's... Right now, it's kind of an you know an innocuous event. Like nothing's going on, whatever. Yeah, bunch of people hanging out. So the plan was pretty straightforward. They were we're going to go into the Israeli building. We're taking hostages, um, and we're going to hold them because there were our the numbers kind of vary between two hundred and three hundred uh, Palestinian political prisoners that were being held in various prisons throughout Israel. So their game plan was: we're holding these people until our demands are met, then. We're going to fly with the hostages to a Palestinian-friendly Arab state where we're, we'll be safe when we get off the plane. We'll exchange the hostages for our prisoners at the same at the landing area. Interesting, right? It's it's starting to get into like Tom Clancy, James Bond shit. Yeah, pretty much. Actually, so, poor Tom Clancy. It was like a Rainbow Six thing, right? Exactly. So it was a, it was agreed on that no harm would would fall to the, the hostages. We're not going to hurt these people. Maybe we'll rough them up if we have to, whatever. We don't want to Maybe break them. an arm or break a leg so they can't right. get a gold. Yeah, fucking smack somebody around if we need yeah. to. So this is where I kind of want to jump in to make a, a little bit of an observation. It's uh, I don't think that even if this plan had gone perfectly to plan, I really don't think there was any fucking chance that these hostages were being released. I feel like they were going to... Get there and go, okay, here's our guys. Fuck them. Kill them all. It's possible. I mean, it, you don't really – I wouldn't put that past anybody oh, in a situation not, like that. I mean, still to this day, no, I wouldn't put it past them if they did the same thing because they just don't really like each other. Right. And, and I have, mean, when, when your land gets taken by – you know, get basically you, you were pushed to this land and you were then, you know, however many years later you're like get told, hey – Guess what? The land that's yours now is no longer yours. Get the fuck out. Hey, I think we're living on some land like that. 
I think this country... Never mind. Right. But I mean... <laughs> That's a story for another day. You also have to remember that this is a group whose, like, fucking mission statement is kill everything Israeli. Because... So why the fuck would they would they keep these nine people alive? You know? It's like... Yeah. We well, can get rid of them while we got them. You know why? You keep them alive so that we have a bargaining chip. Right. But once you get your people back, fucking... Pfft, yeah. Whatever. Well, exactly, though. You know? It's just one of those things. You make them seem like that, you know, these people who will try to get their people. So the other countries, dignitaries or whatever, be like, oh, well, we're going to have them make them think that we're going to keep these people alive. But realistically, they're never coming back. Right. Like, this is part of the plan. We'll get our people and then eliminate them and then disappear. So, I mean, so we don't really know if the, if the, this is actually true then. What they, yeah. what, you know, the, what was It's all hearsay. Said, yeah, hearsay, basically. Hey, we don't really know that. That they said we're gonna keep them alive. You right. get like one person who is like loosely associated with the Black September, be like, "We were gonna keep them alive regardless." Like, this was on you. Their orders we're re- were to, you know, keep realistically, alive. it could be like Simon Phoenix in Demolition Man. These people were already dead already. You just didn't know it until it was too late, and they come bull rushing in, and then they're like, they were eliminated, so they got taken out. It's. It's a fucking shitty situation because no one will ever know. And, I mean, that whole little spiel that I just had there, that was just my personal thought of what was going on. That's not actually been proven anywhere. That's just, like, me just trying questions. to do math in my brain. But it I'll makes like, sense, though. Exactly. Like, I, like I said, yeah. because of the hatred, the, the still hatred between the, the two groups of people who, I mean, historically speaking, have never been wanted by anyone. Right. I mean, the Romans kicked the Jews out of their own land. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were persecuted wherever they went. Yep. The Palestinians, well, they were kicked out of their own land, not once, but twice. Same side of the, you know? different sides of the same coin, pretty much. Exactly. You know? And- no no one's, no one's wanted them throughout history. And then, well, let's see. They're still not wanted being in a land that they were told to go to. And now they have someone else telling them who is saying that this is our land now. Again, I think we're living on in a country kind of based around this whole fucking thing. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <clears throat> like, it's just how human race is. So the black we're September- locusts. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean we are. What, we what, use what and the, abuse. What the hell? Did, and then we move uh, on. Uh, geez, what's his name? Bill Hicks. The human race is a virus with sneakers. Essentially, pretty close. The Black September members who were were all handpicked and trained specifically for this operation. Um, I have their names. I am not going to apologize in advance if I mispronounce any of these because these people all deserve exactly what they got. So I have absolutely no respect for the people that did this. The the, the people that went in and... Yeah, the Black September members? I have, n- I have no feeling towards these people. You so should've. if I mispronounce their names, I'm sorry. I'm going to do my best. Don't give a fuck. Dude, don't even do your best. Just, say, <laughs> just work on it. So their names were Jamal and Adnan Al, uh, Al-Jishi. I'm guessing they were brothers. It doesn't specify, but I'm assuming they were related Family, somewhere. Family, yeah. Uh, Muhammad Safadi, Khalid Jawada, Ahmad she- uh, Sheikh Taha, and Afif Ahmed Hamid. I think you said it okay. Right? I feel like I ordered something. <laughs> I feel like you read a Tom Clancy book or you heard an audio book from Tom Clancy. Maybe. <laughs> I think I could think of one. Uh, Joel Ledger, they deal, they deal with a lot of that there, too. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so th- these men had all been trained in Libya at the uh, World Revolutionary Center, which didn't realize that 
some of these terrorist camps actually have like real fucking names. Yeah, I was just like, wait, what? This camp was owned, operated, and funded by Muammar Gaddafi. Sure. So everything that went into this camp came directly out of his fucking bank account to fund all of it. Fucking wow. <laughs> so after training was complete, these men were sent to Germany weeks and for a couple of them, even months before the Olympics had started so that they could... Uh, Get the lay of the land. Exactly. They could assimilate into into yeah. the local population and kind of, like you said, get the lay of the land. So with that being said, I want to take a real quick break right here, and we'll come back and uh, finish this off. The Dark Windows Podcast is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus is a subscription video on-demand service with thousands of in-depth videos taught by some of the world's greatest professors. You'll always have something fascinating to learn about on there. With categories ranging from history to travel and everything in between, there's something for everyone. The courses I'm personally looking forward to the most are the 36-part series on the Vikings and a 24-part series called The Agency, A History of the CIA. If you go over to ageofradio.org forward slash darkwindows, there's an offer to get The Great Courses Plus free for 14 days. Stay ahead in life. Start your access today with 11,000 plus video and audio lectures on a variety of topics. Now, let's get back to the show. So the group was led by a Palestinian named Muhammad Mas- hmm. Good enough. Whew. The group was led by a Palestinian named Muhammad Masala, who spoke fluent German and chose to go by the name of Isa for the operation. Isa is Arabic for Jesus. Not sure why that's real important, but I figured I felt it was important well, enough to put in. Do they believe in Jesus? No. So never mind. Right. Don't worry about it. So a 25-year-old Jordanian-Palestinian named Youssef Nizal, who was well-educated and he had been very, very radicalized from a young age. Um, He was the kind of secondary leader for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And he went by the name – this one's really fucking weird for me for some reason – went by the name of Tony. <laughs> so Maybe like, you read a uh, a comic book. It was like, dude, I could be a Tony Stark. He's sitting there, sitting there eating his breakfast, and he goes, "I like this fucking tiger. I'm going to be Tony." <laughs> <laughs> what name would you like to go by? <clears throat> Yusuf's too hard. Ibn Tony. Tony. Ah, <laughs> oh, we had the same thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about Tony? So Issa and Tony. Were I want to go by Miller. so Issa and tony were the only two members of the team that had been given all of the details as to what was going on beforehand uh black september's secret weapon was the fact that they had they would go ahead like in advance of attacks and they would set up sleeper cells so these people would be there for months weeks maybe even years get used to everything learn how everything works in the area and then all of a sudden, when they get activated, they're like, oh, fuck, we got this, like, in the bag. It's It works really well for things like that, mm-hmm. sadly. So these cells were made up of mainly college-age students uh, who had been going to college in said countries. Um, what, what better people to turn? Exactly. 
And uh, they they can you know they conducted detailed recon of the Olympic Village as it was being set up for the well, yeah because they probably look they were young same age as them they can wander around they could ask questions because hey I'm here for college course or whatever and you know it doesn't matter there's so many different covers right. that you can come up with I mean some of these some of these people we don't know some of them could have actually worked for as the Olympics security. like helping set things up like oh okay, I, oh I can help you set up uh like you know chairs and seating and stuff like that whatever yeah and i that, came to help what better way to get a fucking lay of the land by doing stuff like that yeah so the uh the soon-to-be hostage takers familiarized themselves with each other uh for a few hours kind of, you know they were having coffee they were talking and getting to know one another because these guys so never- what do you like to do uh you know i like to shoot guns what do you like to do i like to blow shit up what do you like to do i like to drink tea <laughs> i have a great tea collection you know what i don't like israelis me too Oh, <laughs> wait! I don't. I don't mind Israel. Oh, get yeah. the fuck out! Oh yeah, that's one of them. That's one. Of, yep. That's a deal breaker, dude. Um, because none of these guys, other than the person that they had been traveling with, had met each other previous to this event. Then how? So was this all like phone call? Yeah, it was e- phone call, uh, letter campaign email. kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, pen pals. Yeah, kind of probably, but God, I mean, none disgusting. of these guys, other than the person that they traveled with, had actually met each other like Weird. in person. I wonder if they did that on purpose. I think so. It's kind of uh, plausible deniability. You yeah. Know? So, like, fuck it. This doesn't happen. We don't. Or if one of them gets caught, he can only rat out the other dude. Yeah. And you know, they lie detector test. I don't know that guy. I don't fucking Truth know Truth serum. I really don't know who he is. Yeah. To me, he's Tony. Yeah. Some, I t- some dude. He sent me a letter. Um, so they decided that uh, what they would refer to as H hour would be set for midnight, September 4th of 1972. H hour. What a fucking dumb name. Shortly before midnight on the fourth, the men broke in, uh, broke off into their two groups of, into two groups of four, collected the weapon uh, the weapon bags from the rail station, and uh, kind of just got prepared. Mm-hmm. Do some last minute discussion. Make sure right. the guns are ready to go. Explosives are ready. Crossing T's, dotting I's, stuff like that. So after I said that right, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to be like dotting lowercase j's. Since we're in Germany, we're going to cross our t's, dot our umlauts. Yes. Um, so after collecting the weapons, they dressed in um, track suits, like training suits, so that they would blend in when they Makes got sense. into the, yeah. Um, they took two separate cabs. So, you know, obviously you're not going to get fucking eight people in a cab. And uh, they told the cab drivers, we need to go to the Olympic Village. They brought them there. Um at around 4 a.m., they, they got back to the Olympic Village. Um, they scaled the fence near Gate 25A, the same one where the shit security guards were checking the bus and, you know. They probably were sleeping. Yeah. the uh, I'm going to quote-unquote guards thought that they had just been athletes returning after a late night in town. Yeah, because they totally climb over the fence. That's what you do. Yeah, and, you know, we're obviously not checking anybody's fucking information because why would we start now? They had tracksuits on, dude. Yeah, exactly. The tracksuits. Yeah. I'm going to wear a tracksuit from now on. That won't get checked. You would look like a Russian gangster if you wore a tracksuit. <laughs> I'm going to look for a tracksuit. I'm going to get me one of those. You uh, need to get gold chant to go with, yeah? I could do that. Don't worry. Yes. It is good. <laughs> so they didn't They didn't rouse any suspicion, obviously, because they looked like athletes. They're four, like, you know, you're, you're probably seeing four of them. They're yeah. young, fit, like, in-shape guys. Dressed in tracksuits. And they're walking with a mission. Exactly. You'd be surprised if you walk into a place and you're literally walking with a mission like you own the place or you're supposed to be there. No one stops you. If you're in a facility, grab a clipboard. So they didn't rouse any suspicion. Um, They even 
here's what here's a fun one. Oh, they God. actually helped one a couple of the drunk American athletes get back to the village too. Well, that was nice of them. Like people, like guys that were having a hard time walking up to the fucking gate. They're like, Dude, oh no, no, we'll help you, no problem, bro. Bud. Yeah. Bro, I'm probably going to be you tomorrow, but can you bring me back? <laughs> Side note: How stereotypical is that the Americans are the ones that are. 4 a.m. drunk wandering around, knowing that they probably have to train or compete the next day. And you know what? I wonder, just for shits and kicks, Kevin, look it up real quick. You're, you're gonna be you're gonna be the Jamie to my Joe Rogan here. How many fucking Americans won gold medals in the 1972 Olympics? Just just for out of curiosity, we'll cut this part out, or we'll cut like the like the space out. Yeah, cut the space out. So I know how crazy it would be for to be those Americans. Right? That, fucking cleaned up. <laughs> no, no. What I'm saying is be those Americans that the people that helped you back to your room were the same ones that shortly there later killed those people. <laughs> That'd be fucking fun. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Oh, I mean, oh, I thought you were talking like if the, no, uh, if like, the Americans were like agents. Imagine, no, what I'm saying is <laughs> imagine if the three of us are these Olympic people. We're drunk as shit. Those fucking black september guys help us back to our room then we find out that those people that were super cool to us end up killing people yeah that'd be fucked wouldn't it yeah that's why i was like why are you laughing that's fucking crazy i, I, I miss, would literally I, be like i quit life like, i misheard how you said it okay so how, how many americans won gold medals 33 fuck yes how many of them were fucking drunk at 4 a.m the, the morning before I 34 <laughs> 56 of the 40 American 32 athletes 32 and drunk. a half <laughs> who's the half he uh, you don't want to know it's He's... part of our dwarf tossing team <laughs> oh, yeah they only He's did our it. curling team oh shit we... oh my god we can totally <laughs> use dwarfs for curling <laughs> they only did that once in 72 and then they decided dwarf tossing was not, a, not an Olympic event yep so this the... is why Palestine did that because they had no dwarfs they just eliminate them at birth <laughs> We don't have any fucking dwarfs, so we can't even compete. The Palestinians looked just like they should have. Uh, you know, they had switched out their rifles uh, into Olympic, like official, like Olympic duffel bags that probably all the stole them off the drunk Americans. Probably. Or actually, those kids were wandering around like acting like they were part of the place. Like, oh, I need this for my buddy who you know he's going to be competing in this event. You know, and and with all that being said, where you know they didn't rouse any suspicion and nobody really. Yeah. Got any idea that this was going on? Um, there were still reports that they've been observed by six postal workers. They were like, the postal workers were like a little kind of iffy, Leary. like something didn't feel right about the whole thing. And they reported them to local authorities. But of course, because of how this story ends, we can probably figure out that the reports were never really taken seriously or followed up on. Hmm. So here's where it gets fun. This is the part where you got to put on your comfy clothes, sit on your couch or your comfortable chair, unbutton said comfy pants, and just hang grab, on. Grab a drink. Yep. So okay. the... Yeah. Wait, hold on. There it is. He's yeah. ready. The Palestinians approached 31 Connolly Strauss where the Israelis were now sleeping. They removed the AKs from the bags, loaded them, and ducked into the shadows. Shortly after 4.10 a.m., they got to the front door of apartment one, which was the uh, the lower floor apartment. So you would have apartment one down here and apartment two would have been the, the second floor. One of the men had a spare key that had been made. The key wasn't a true copy because it didn't unlock the door right away like an actual copy would. Um, they're thinking that it was uh, 
a copy made from um, like a wax impression almost. So oh it, yeah, that's it that like is a some hand cut key. Yeah, that's some secret so not, agent shit. Not perfect. Yeah, it, yeah. It, I mean, it, it'll fit in. You just have to fucking rattle it and jiggle yeah, yeah. it and shit, and it'll eventually unlock it. I tried doing that when I was a kid in like science class, oh, really? taking a wax impression of a key and then trying to pour like a hard wax material in there and then trying it. Never worked. No. They made it look way too easy, but then again, also the key teeth now are much more complicated. Where back then it's like wasn't as yeah detailed. I guess yeah, locks weren't as weren't well. As, uh, you could literally take a lock. I don't know since you probably handle locks every once in a while. Not really. So the sound of the key moving in the lock woke up Yosef Gutfround, who was a burly. I mean, I've seen pictures. He was a big Gutfraun, dude. He was a big burly forty-year-old wrestling referee, Israeli wrestling referee. He approached the door barefoot in his underwear and my just, man right. Just as he got to the door, it opened and he saw the most recognizable rifle in the world and realized something awful was about to happen. Oh, God. He hurled his bulk at the door, shouting out uh, in warning to the other people in the house, like, you know, just trying to wake everybody up by uh-huh. yelling. His yelling woke up Tuvia Sokolovsky, who is a weightlifting trainer, who leapt out of bed and started shouting to wake the rest of the athletes up. Um, as he's yelling, trying to get people to follow him, he's barrel-assing towards the back door. He gets to the back door and fucking punches the window out, like the window next to the door, instead of taking the time to open it. Just Fuck fucking, this, I'm going out this way. Right, just boom, put a fucking fist yeah. through it, window breaks, and you're out. The Palestinians flooded into the room and overpowered Gutfround. And as this was happening, uh, Sokolovsky was trying to escape. He was running along. One of the Palestinians actually fired a round, uh, like a trail of rounds behind him, and uh, he ended up getting into cover behind a building. Back in the apartment, the remaining six Israeli athletes woke up to armed men dressed in tracksuits and balaclavas ordering them out of bed. The hostages were then herded into a second-floor bedroom uh, where they were all tied up with uh, pre-cut sections of rope and forced into the beds. So these guys obviously knew what they were doing, how many hostages they were taking. Yeah. they Their reconnaissance had been That's very, good. very yeah. good. That They're like, oh, we know how many fucking sections of rope to cut. That's kind of spooky shit. So the six hostages were Yosef Gutfront, who we mentioned before, mm-hmm. the track and field coach, Amitzer Shapira, who was 40, marksmanship coach, Kehat Shore, who was 53, Andre Spitzer, the 27-year-old fencing, uh, fencing coach, Yakov Springer, a 50-year-old wrestling uh, referee, and uh, Moshe Weinberg, who was a 30 year, uh, 33-year-old wrestling coach. So they broke into the apartment. That had all of the combat sports, either athletes or coaches, in it first. Wow. If any of these people had been... Or if they did that on purpose. I think they might have. But to because, kind of break them because they're like, these guys are the strongest of the strong of the team. And if we take them out, then everyone else is going to be comply. Right. And I mean, shit, if any of these people had been aware, they probably would have fucked these guys up. Like the wrestling coaches and the weightlifting coaches were not small dudes. They would have snapped one of these cocksuckers like a wet towel and killed them. I learned from previous experience, you mess around with a wrestler, even if they you outweigh them by like 75 pounds, they can still move you oh, around. Yeah. they they. Yeah. If you don't know what the hell is going on, they would take you out before you even know. So Weinberg, who had, uh, who had just gotten back to the apartment after a long night out, um, he still kind of had his wits about him a little bit. He dove at... Uh, Isa, who was one of the first Palestinians through the door, and he uh, he knocked him like right on his ass. Uh, before Weinberg could get a hold of the weapon, he was shot through the cheek. 
Oh, jeez. Ow. The wound was awful, but not life-threatening. So I'm guessing it was just a through and through, maybe took some teeth with it, wouldn't kill him. It, even if he had, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like even if he had gotten medical attention, it's he's a survivable gonna, he's wound. He's not going to die. Right. Yeah. So Issa and two others stood watch as Tony and the and four of the other uh, Palestinians took Weinberg upstairs at gunpoint to find more Israeli athletes. They forced Weinberg through the door of, the, of apartment three. So kind of picture this. Uh, you're being woken up at night. You got a door being kicked in. And you're seeing one of your friends bleeding from the face. And then a handful of armed men rushing through the door behind him that that would have fucked with my head so badly like because i mean you first you wake you go, up what the fuck's going on yeah, yeah you well, w- think about it you wake Anytime up at a surprise you- and you're like what the fuck is going on already and then well, this we- shit's going on too imagine just waking up at a surprise anyway with do do pats myself with a, when my kid wakes me up significant other or just a loud noise it's yeah. the most fucking jarring thing the first thing you want to do is either punch it or run from it and then punch it yeah and, or shoot it i mean but then they also like Oh my gosh, you know, uh, 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 Weinberg, you know, they're like, oh my God, Dude, Weinberg, you're fucking what's believing going what's going on? on? Yeah, yeah. Why, well, that is not from shaving. No, that's not a fucking shaving cut. Apartment three is where the gunman would find the following athletes. David Berger, a 28-year-old American-born weightlifter. Some of these names are fucking awesome. Eliza Halfin, a 24-year-old Soviet-born wrestler. Mark Salvin, an 18-year-old Greco-Roman wrestler. Yosef Romano, a 33-year-old Libyan-born powerlifter. Zayev Friedman, a 28-year-old-born, uh, uh, Polish-born weightlifter. And Gad Sabari, a 28-year-old freestyle wrestler. So, again, you go into any of these apartments when these people are awake and... Wait, wait. How many of these people were Israeli right they, now? They were all representing Israel. Oh, okay. Because gotcha. they were... They moved there. Right. They probably once. had moved back with their parents who yeah. were who were Jewish. Um Okay, because it was like, what the hell, man? Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, imagine if any of these people were fucking wide awake, like they just had breakfast or something, and this shit's going on. They're going to fuck these Jesus. guys up, guns mm-hmm. or not. So the men were marched, confused, half asleep, and at gunpoint down the stairs to the first apartment to join the rest of the team. While the gunmen were forcing them uh, down, back down the stairs, Gad Zabari made a break for it, uh, running in a zigzag pattern kind of uh, through the parking garage. He actually did manage to escape. But where's... Uh, uh, Sokolovsky? Yeah. He fucking... He bolted, too. Okay, so he's gone, too. Right. I mean... So we have two survivors so far. So far, yes. <laughs> um, Out of how many? Nine. Nine right now? Okay. Well, the Palestinians had been uh, had been distracted by Zabari's escape. Moji Weinberg took the opportunity to try and wrestle the gun away from him again. Uh, there was a burst of automatic fire, and Weinberg hit the floor dead. Oh. So we have our first casualty of uh, of eleven. Yeah, uh, yeah, of more of people that, of a lot that didn't need to die. So now we're down to uh, eight. Not no, eight in the left. Yeah, I believe so. The sounds of gunfire woke the rest of the complex, and the remaining five Israel, uh, Israelis were shoved into the apartment, and the doors were uh, were closed behind them. So there was six people in the apartment. Um, two had escaped. At this point in time, from first making contact with the Israeli team to herding the still-living members back into the bottom floor of the apartment, uh-huh. had taken less than 10 minutes. So these guys were very well-trained. They had, again, very good reconnaissance of what was going on. They probably had fucking blueprints for this building. 
They knew exactly where they were going and exactly what they needed to do. A few moments after the door slammed shut, an Olympic steward armed with uh, with only a walkie-talkie and a flashlight approached the area after getting reports of gunfire. He turned the corner and was confronted by the dead body of Weinberg splayed on the sidewalk. He spoke rapidly into his uh, radio and rushed away from uh, what was probably the worst thing he had ever seen in his life. Mm. I, you imagine just being out for a walk and you're fucking doing your rounds and all of a sudden, hey, there's a dead guy here. That yeah, would, that would fuck how, with anybody. How old the guy is. I mean, you know, if he's... It is. If he's 40, then no, it's not, probably. But, but if he's younger than that, then yes. But, I mean, coming across a dead body is probably not fun at any point in time in your life. No, I'm just saying, you know, because, I mean, if he was older than 40 or 40 or older, he... This is true. Yeah. He would have lived through a war. Yeah. So, back inside the apartment, Yosef Romano, who had suffered a torn knee, a torn knee ligament before... Oh. Everything had happened. Oh fuck! He, he still traveled with the team because you know it's That's kind of dangerous part of to do the that. Team. Yeah, you know. Um, so he was actually on crutches at this point, and uh, he would end up being the last attempt of any of the athletes to fight back. Uh, Romano launched himself from his crutches at one of the masked men trying to get the gun away from him. That is a man uh, committing his final act of bravery. He was killed trying to defend himself and his fellow countrymen. So we're down to five. No. <sighs> yeah. By this point, the entire Olympic Village had been awoken by the sounds of gunfire, screaming. <laughs> you know, obviously, it probably sounds like a fucking war zone there at this point. Telephones began ringing all over the city of Munich and all over the world as athletes tried to contact the authorities and people in their respective countries to try to, you know, maybe give them a heads up as to what's going on or to ask what's going on. One of the first phones that was answered was that of Munich Police Chief Manfred Schreiber, which his phone rang at 5 a.m. He then contacted Bruno Merck, the Bavarian internal uh, interior minister, who then called the German interior minister, Hans Dietrich Genscher. So it's we're starting to get into the chain of command and politicking of the whole fucking situation. Instead How do of we handle this, How do right, we go about it. Instead of just handling it, because um, we don't want to look like a bunch of assholes, right? We also don't want to do the wrong thing and then... And then get blamed for it. Exactly. Well, what we're going to find out is it's going to turn into more of you guys do it. We don't want to. This is on, on, on the part of the Germans where they Which, really wanted nothing to do with any of this. They're just like, oh, no, it's just happening here. We're not. I can, I can, you know, I can see that what, what they're... What, the whole point is, you know, I mean, it's kind of a touchy situation for them. And, right. You know, they're, they're, they have no army. They have, you know, none well, of that. There was a situation that happened not that long ago yeah. that kind of doesn't put them in the best of light. And already people are going to be blaming them for right. all this. And the people that were, you know, the, the whole uh, center focal point of, of the war were, were, are now captive. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a lot of, yeah. We're not. We're not touching this. Yeah, you these aren't can, our people. Yeah. Sorry, well, you can use exactly. whatever resources you want, but it's not us. So, Gensher made a series of strategically placed calls to government offices, uh, and before too long, the phone rang in the office of Moshe Dayan, who was the Israeli Defense Minister. At five thirty a.m., the phone rang in the bedroom of Golda Meir, who was the Israeli Prime Minister at the time. I've heard of. She. I'm pretty confident she was the first prime minister of israel she was definitely the first female prime minister anywhere hmm. 
Um, so just after 5.30 a.m., the Munich police re- uh, reached the sidewalk where Moshe Weinberg laid dead. They scrooped him up. Scrooped. That's the name of the episode. <laughs> Chuckle scro- fuckery. Scrooped him up. Scrooped him up. They scooped him up and rushed him to, the, to an ambulance to be taken to a local hospital. As telexes began coming in across the world, one reached the office of, a- of ABC, who had uh, actually they had the only television rights to the Olympics for hmm. 1972. So you could only watch them on ABC. Um, That's a good contract to have. Yeah, right? Fuck. Especially back then, you're making tons of money on that. Yeah. Not now, where every time you turn a channel, it's there. It's on the fucking Olympics are on CNN now, for Christ's sakes! It's that like, USA Network. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Viacom or whatever the fuck they are the fucking now. Fucking True TV. Yeah. <laughs> so Golda Meir was the fourth prime minister. Okay. Of uh, Israel. Okay. First female or? Yeah. Okay. And she she actually went to uh, she her family was she was born in Germany right, and then her family came to the U.S. and then she went to. I think they That's came, pretty cool. I think they came to the U.S. before things got really bad in Germany. Like I think they kind of had a little bit of yeah, 1906. Yeah, they had the they had the forethought of like actually shit. They were here before World War One. Then yep. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty confident she was the first female prime minister anywhere in the world. Sports reporter Jim McKay had the sobering task of reporting quote The Olympics of Serenity had become the one thing the Germans didn't want it to be: the Olympics of Terror. And uh, that's where we're going to leave it for this week. We're going to come back next week. We're going to talk about um, the standoff and the resolution of the situation. Um, <laughs> uh, just as a heads up, it doesn't uh, it doesn't get any better from here on out. It's spoiler. It gets really dark and get really yeah. sad, and we may crack some jokes, but it's mainly to try to lighten the mood and not exactly because um, topics topics like this literally will change the way you see things. Yeah, I. This this one uh, this one hit me pretty hard trying to do research for it. It's like you're reading about this shit, and especially the further into it you go, I found myself reading it and just going, "Oh fuck, no, oh fuck," because I I knew about what had happened, but I didn't know the details of how things had happened. Well, the stuff I've known about it are how it was handled, the situation was handled, like well, obviously the parties involved, how the situation was handled. And then how it changed how future situations are handled. Right. Up until certain other events that happen. Yeah. I mean, this was a, this was a very, like, research-intensive topic. And, again, I had some spots where I had to fucking... Walk away? I had to set my Kindle down, and I was like, I can't read this right now. I need to fucking, you know, because uh, it's, it's, it's not fun shit to read about. But, I mean... It happened. Exactly. It, it's part of history. I mean, and it's something that I, I love learning about things like this, especially from, like, the historical aspect of it. But It just didn't make you know, anything better for either situation. No. no. It, it definitely did not help international relations for anyone. It just shows. No matter who was involved. Yeah, it just shows the the negativity that, you know, needs to be kind of be erased that yep. probably never will. But No. The, the Middle East has been at war for thousands of years and it will be at war for thousands of years after we're all fucking dead it's it's never good i don't think not just that man it's no, the I entire know, world but, like there's a, always going to be a battle there's always going to be war right peace is never going to happen but much that's, people want that's it. been the hotbed for 
It's thousands all, of years. I mean, going it's back all to because of religion, exactly. And I hate uh, to say it, but it is. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's the truth. Yeah, the matter. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, because you know, one person doesn't like the other person's, you know, belief, you know, or whatever. So it's just you know, just how it is. Yeah, you have a group that's been persecuted since the beginning of time, and a group that's been fucked over for hundreds of years and those two groups don't like each other you know and it's both feel that they're victims both feel they deserved what they're deserved and neither one of them want to see each other's side right but i mean this this situation on its own if you were to look at just this is a really really sad thing like and any kind of any kind of act of terrorism like this like doesn't matter who's involved this shit doesn't need to happen Mm -hmm. no it's it's fucking gross yeah, it's just, know, it's just like you know, we covered uh, the when I covered the um, the bombing in yeah, in New York. Yeah. I mean mm-hmm. that was you know for what? What the fuck did that accomplish? Not a fucking thing. Right. You you just I killed. still don't know what the hell happened. Like you know what I mean? It's like why? Why? It's just over. Just, just because. You know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like it, when it makes you just scratch your head for longer than it needs to be. Like, if there was a reason behind it, be like, okay, I can kind of understand why, but when it's one of those moments of where, huh, I still don't know why that happened. I still don't know what what the point of it was. You want, like, a a huge dose of reality? Go, anybody, anybody, go listen to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, his series that he did about World War I, and you start to hear... What is that? The the, uh, uh, Blueprint for Apocalypse? Blueprint for Destruction, I think is what yeah. it's called. Something like that. Or listen to Thor's Angels. Right. It's another one. But the one with World War One, you see how an entire generation was destroyed. With like, one event. From the fucking ground up. Absolutely destroyed. Because two people got killed in a car. Yep. You get to see the absolute numbers of how many people died. Because... Two people got killed in a car. Uh-huh. It's fucking sad. It's like I had times listening to that where I would fucking I was at work listening to it and I'd start to tear up and I'd have shut it off. And go, this is it's fucking people, ridiculous. It didn't think need to that, happen. That wasn't you know that wasn't the only time that something like that happened. I mean, you know, the Mongolians did it. You know, mm-hmm. he did an f whole thing about the Mongolians with with right. Genghis Khan. You know, just because well the people didn't want to give in, so Genghis said, well. Fuck you! All of your, yeah. all your whole, every single person in your family is dead. I'm gonna make a pyramid out of your heads. Yeah, you're all gonna be dead, and that's it. But I think the reason that the World War One one sits so much harder for me is because it's more recent. You're getting better detailed accounts of what's going on, and I mean World I mean, War Two. You know, it is more recent than that. Whole families were right. wiped out. Exactly. I mean, Again, generations were fucking destroyed. Yeah. For what? Were destroyed because, well, let's see. One side, they were all destroyed because one person, because we got we got attacked, and we decided that hey, we have a new toy. Let's try the new toy out. Yeah. And then the other side was because a madman decided that uh, what he felt was the best way, and decided, hey, fuck it. I'm going to start killing a whole bunch of people. Yep. And damn the consequences. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so this is part one of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I so cannot wait to take a break in the middle of this to have a, a good fucking fun episode for uh Yeah. For a specific holiday that we have a we have a lot of respect for and we had fun with last year. So, so. far I think it would have been a it would have been a hell of a fight. I would like to have seen it go more than uh, one round and uh I like to have seen, you know, them be have fresh legs and come Dude, into could, the fight. Could you imagine if these fucking like again, like the Palestinians came in unarmed, like I th- I at think, fucking breakfast? <laughs> I think they would have. You know, I think they would have put up a good fight. Maybe more would have died, but there may have been less Palestinians involved. Yeah, I, you know. They, so, I mean, they probably still would have lost in at least round two. Right. But you know, I, so I gotta make some kind of light out of it. <laughs> so, but uh, it's, you know, it's one of those. Yeah, this is one of those episodes and series where you're gonna want to probably have uh, have some good headphones. Like if you're listening, you don't want a bunch of other people hearing what's going on. So where can we find those headphones, Kev? Studio.com. Boom. Go check them out. Get your headphones, your earbuds, whichever you want. You know, if you prefer headphones, they got those. They got two different kinds. They got the Neva, and they have the Klar, which Seth absolutely loves. I don't love them because I don't have a pair yet, but I just like the name. <laughs> yeah. And they also have different types of earbuds uh, from kind of wired-ish yep. to wireless. Um, and Kevin has his. I said, yeah, I said it wrong, but, you know, you you have the Neva. I do have the Neva. And they are I, fantastic. And I, said, and I called the over-ear. No, the over-the-ear that we all use while we're recording Regents. are the Regent. Yeah, I called him the Neva, which I was wrong. Because you like that name, Neva. Like, I, I like the name Klar. <laughs> and the Regent have 24-hour continuous play battery life. And, like, if you were to fully charge them and just leave them, like, you forgot you have them, the battery stays char- fully charged for 30 days. And, it'll like, it'll eventually die out. But 30 days without having to charge something is fucking ridiculous. It's awesome. So, Seth, Yo. get some stuff. Yeah, like I said at the top of the show, head on over to GameEvy.net if you or anybody you know is into painting miniatures and you want to hook them up with some sweet new hobby tools. Find what you like, put in the checkout cart, put in the promo code BROADSTONE at checkout and save yourself 10% off the entire order. And we also got a plug, DiceHead.com. Yes, we do. DiceHead.com is your one-stop shop for your miniature gaming, your board gaming, your card gaming, your variety of tabletop. But if you're not into that, you want comic books, head on over there, get comic books. Yes, you want some other fun collectibles, you can get that as well. And, you know, if you have miniatures that you want to get rid of, go all the way down to the page to where it says the miniature trade-in program. Click that button, follow those prompts, and, you know, they'll get back to you and hook you up with some awesome, awesome in-store credit. Yeah, and buddy. You, and if you don't remember where to find any of that stuff, you don't remember that at all, and you're like, fuck, wh- where the hell do I go? Just, uh, you can go over to Facebook Look us up. Uh, we're Dark Windows Podcast. We're yep. the only one on there. Yes, sir. And you'll find uh, Mr. Kevin C. and Mr. Kevin H. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you'll find both of us on there because, we'll, you know, we post back and forth, banter, all that <laughs> good stuff with everybody. Uh, or you can go over to ageofradio.org. Mm-hmm. If you go to ageofradio.org forward slash Dark Windows, it'll bring you directly to our page. You can listen to every episode that we've ever posted, including this one. And if you scroll down on that, you'll find a little tag that says Bizarre. You go to there, it will show you all of our network sponsors, which include Barnes & Noble, um, 
Microsoft. Microsoft. Thank you. I'm sorry. My brain is fucked right now. On it. On it. The human optimization thing with monkey kettlebells because you didn't say it. No, man, because I have Star Wars ones. <laughs> Ooh, I keep bring, plugging the Star Wars one. You're the Star Wars nerd. I'm a Star Wars nerd. We get nerd. it. Joe Rogan likes monkey stuff. He's a co-owner. But they have Star Wars <laughs> one, perfectly balanced. But, yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff at the Bazaar. Um, if you go to ageradio.org, you can also check out all the other great shows that are on there. And uh, you can find us, again, at Facebook. At Facebook. Also, you can find us on Instagram at DarkWindowsPod. Yep, we're... On Twitter at DarkWindowsPod. Hey, guess what? I'm getting good at Twitter now. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. I don't even know what a Twitter is. (laughs) And if you don't want to go on... You don't have access to either one of those, but you would just rather just email us, you can email us at... DarkWindowsPod at gmail.com. Also, Patreon. And we yes. also have Patreon. We have four awesome fucking tiers on Patreon. So if you want to you want to donate some money, you are looking to get something back, go check out our Patreon page, look at the tiers, and uh, you'll see what we uh, what we got to offer. Mm. So, yeah, that's the good one. Yeah. You just have to go to patreon.com. Forward slash dark windows. Yep. Yep. And if you can personally find me, Kevin H., on Facebook. Whoa, just start plugging yourself. Okay, kid. Yeah. <laughs> he plugs himself all the time. I do. I try. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> I'm on I'm on Facebook. You'll see me. I'm Kevin Heyer. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Speedy802. Kevin or Seth? Seth, where can he find you? No, I was like, whoa, just gloss over you, bro. No worries, bro. No worries. I'm only, the only place you can find me is on Instagram. I am Broadstone underscore creations where you can find me painting miniatures, using hobby holders, using other stuff, and other random shit that I like to take pictures of. Boom. Uh, what about my, you, Mr. Kevin C.? My name is Kevin Carlton. You can find me on Facebook there. Uh, I'm on Instagram at kcarlton87. And if you go onto Twitter, if you just punch in Kevin Carlton, I'll pop up. I get a picture where I'm taking a knee in front of Darth Vader. It's pretty easy to find. You me. nerd. Fuck yeah. Again, I, why I plug the Star Wars kettlebells. We, we did get a comment on that, uh, on my picture, where uh, a mutual friend of all three of us is like, yeah, it looks like Darth, Vader, <laughs> Darth Vader's been hitting the donuts a little hard. I'm like... Yeah, got a little soft in the middle, but you know, he's still. Did you also see a really short uh, stormtrooper too? <laughs> I did, yes. and he he busted my balls because I was like, "Aren't you too short to be a stormtrooper?" And he was like, as he's walking away, he goes, "Fuck off!" Like, yeah. <laughs> hmm. So and he also took a picture of the stormtrooper, and the stormtrooper goes, "Wait, hold on, I blinked." <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was the best. Like I fucking laughed my ass off about that. But until next week. Just because you can't see out into the dark. I don't feel like doing it this time. No, I don't think we need to. Doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. Good night. Goodbye. Kisses. See you later. Be better people. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.